Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Francisco L. Borges and the Melville Charitable Trust. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalbathanchel. Our society celebrates families and the joy children can add to them. Yet getting pregnant can be difficult for some individuals or couples. The CDC says 12% of women have trouble getting pregnant and male infertility can be a factor in about one-third of couples trying to conceive. Today, where we live, we talk about infertility and pregnancy loss. Coming up, we hear from a psychologist who specializes in fertility counseling, and we talk to a patient advocate who has experienced fertility challenges and now helps couples today. You can join us, too, 888-720-9677. That's 888-720-WNPR. You can share a comment on our Facebook page or find us on Twitter at Where We Live. We wanted to start with a personal story. So joining us now on Zoom is Julia Pistel. She's a resident of Hartford and also host of the podcast Literary Disco. You probably hear her on Connecticut Public Radio occasionally on our talk shows. Julia, welcome back. Thanks for having me back, Lucy. Happy to be here. For people who don't know, you have a beautiful daughter, a beautiful family, and I, I enjoy seeing your adventures on Facebook. Can you talk about when uh, you and your husband decided to try to have a second child and what has been your experience? Yeah. So, first of all, I was laughing with uh, one of my friends uh, before doing this saying, let's see if I can make it through this story without crying or cursing, because those are the two main <laughs> emotional modes. Um, but I, I have a daughter. I'm very, very lucky to already have her. And she was conceived really easily in a way that I think gave us a really false sense of like, oh, we're good. This is great. Easy peasy. Um, and then we decided to have another kid uh, around February 2020. So you know what happened there. You know, it was mm-hmm. a really uncertain few months. We were kind of trying, not trying. And then I did actually get pregnant over the summer and I had a miscarriage, um, which was awful and um, kind of gory and emotionally brutal. And then, uh, yeah, after that miscarriage, kept on trying, had another miscarriage. And then I think after that second, that second one, this feeling sank in, you know, oh, no, this is this is not going to be easy. And maybe this isn't going to happen at all. Mm -hmm. Um, So starting in uh, around March, I started seeing a reproductive endocrinologist. And I'm actually in the middle of my third round of IVF right now. So the first two rounds did not go well. So it's it's absolutely a, a roller coaster ride, as they say. <laughs> Although I was saying to a, a, another friend, you know, it's not really a roller coaster because there's no ups. It just seems to get worse and worse. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's been more than a year of trying to figure this out and have the family that we want to have. 
Well, first, I'm sorry to hear about your miscarriages. That's also something that uh, I feel like a lot of people um, don't talk about or feel uncomfortable talking about. And so when that happened to you the first time, you know, how did you get support? And how did your, um, your doctors and others uh, help you with this and maybe the possibility of this happening again? Yeah, so my doctors were wonderful because the main thing that they wanted to communicate was it's you didn't do anything. You know, it's not your fault. This is just this is just math. And that is something that, you know, I would love to make sure people understand uh, walking away um, from this episode of the show is that there's statistics involved. You know, there's so many pregnancies don't make it to term. Um, and that's just how it goes, especially when you're a little bit older. I was 37 when that happened. Um, so I wasn't actually all that surprised because I had had so many friends who had had miscarriages. So my support system was, was wonderful because I reached out to probably 10 or 12 friends who I knew who had had miscarriages and they really got me through it. Um, and they're all wonderful. Uh, and I'm really lucky that they had shared their experiences publicly, um, or at least, privately with me so that I knew they were there to reach out to. Um, and then since, since my miscarriage, I've done the same thing. I've, I've been the person on the other end of the line for so many women who go through this. Uh, when you're in the, the process, you mentioned you're in your third round of IVF, you, know, you become almost an expert on all the different terms and you mentioned the math and the probabilities and, and you talk through, you know, how you've gotten through these rounds of IVF and, you know, because we hear so many stories from people that you know, it can be uncomfortable and at the same time, it's also can be financially burdensome as well. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's so much to say about IVF. It's really its own kind of world emotionally and physically. And I didn't really understand until I was going through it. You know, when you're doing IVF, that it's very consuming. Um, so one of my coping strategies has been to just get as curious as I can about the science and really understand how it works um, and what we say, even when we're talking about IVF, um, because I think a lot of people, me included, before I started, have this vague idea. It's like, oh, okay, you go, you go to the baby store and they give you a baby. Uh, <laughs> it's not, it is not that. Um, it's a really um, complicated, delicate process of uh, taking hormones, injecting yourself with all kinds of things. Um, and then having your eggs retrieved while you're under anesthesia. And I think those aspects are what we do hear about, um, the physical reality and the physical experience. Um, but the emotional experience I've found to be much more difficult. I do the physical aspect of it again and again, no, no problem so far. But the, the thing that happens with IVF is you have a certain number of eggs retrieved and then you, every couple of days you get a phone call about how many of them didn't make it. So you start with this big number and then it goes down and down until like, hopefully you get one usable embryo. Um, so that is, it's just really difficult. And I, I've kind of been living in this world for a while. So it feels like it's never going to end. It feels like 
oh, this is just what I do now. I go to the doctor every other day and then uh, I get bad news. And that's sort of my life right now. Um, so it's been tough. And I would love for people to understand that when someone's going through IVF, it's not like a quick thing. It's a long, long process. You're hearing Julia Pastel here on Where We Live as we talk about infertility, the challenges that individuals and couples uh, can face uh, when they're trying to conceive. And in Julia's case, uh, she's trying to have a second child. You can join us if you've also experienced this, if you want to share uh, what your experience has been, 888-720-9677. That's 888-720-WMPR. Or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. You know, Julia, listening to you talk about, you know, the the stress and the emotions attached uh, to you know having to do this and being in a third round of IVF uh, something that um, struck me when I was uh, you know doing reading um, before this show is you know the phrase of this uh, infertility is a lasting trauma even if you end up mm -hmm. with a healthy baby that long struggle to conceive is brutal and it doesn't just go away <sighs> yeah. overnight. Yeah, that's something that I've been thinking about and honestly working on this whole time. You know, at first it's like, oh, I have a problem and I'm going to solve it. And then it becomes, okay, this is a part of me now. And the infertility is almost separate from the baby. And in my case, I have unexplained infertility. So there's no reason, you know, this is just something that happens is my, the right egg isn't coming down or the right egg isn't showing up. Um, and it's something that I'm really coming to terms with thinking about, you know, my life is not going to look like what I wanted it to look like. And there are certain things that I see that are really sad, like two siblings playing together who are really close in age, you know, like that, that possibility is gone. So watching possibilities sort of fade out, um, is a really difficult difficult part of this. And, you know, something that I read that actually made me feel better, or at least less, you know, a little less crazy, big air quotes there, um, is folks who are going through IVF have similar mental health patterns to folks who are going through cancer treatments. So it is, it is really that traumatizing and that heavy um, and not something that you know, I will ever truly be able to like wipe my hands and say, oh, that was bad, but now I'm done. <laughs> and, and given all the sacrifices that you and your husband have gone through in this uh, journey to grow your family, you know, this is something that you're not going to give up on, right? Like you're still, are you feeling good right now in this third round, Julia? Yeah, I am feeling good right now. Um, just because of where I am in the process. Um, I had a good egg retrieval, so that's wonderful. But I think for me, I have had to separate my mental health from the outcome of having a baby uh, and instead uh, say, okay, here's what I can do to make this meaningful, even if there is no baby, even if I do this and <laughs> nothing happens. So for me, um, you know, the things that I've sort of latched onto are being really open about it and talking to people about it so I can support someone else later. Um, or like I said, being really curious about um, the science. Um, and also just there's other effects on my family that are 
interesting in their own ways. So my daughter is obsessed with blood cells and blood draws now because she knows I've gone to get my blood drawn a million times. So I'm just trying to stay in the moment and live in the experience um, because I really don't know what will happen. Um, And one more thing I want to say is that, you know, even if I were to get a positive pregnancy test, you know, I know from others who have been through this or getting pregnant after loss, you know, that pregnancy will be really hard. Um, There will be a lot of anxiety and fear around there. So I just happen to know that it will be a long time until I feel really, really good um, about the outcome of this process. So just trying to stay in it. I'm not even going to say stay positive. Just trying to keep going is where I'm at. Well, Julia, we really appreciate you sharing your story with us. Uh, It's personal, but I think you make a a big impact when when people hear you talking about this. Um, But we want to thank you, Julia Pistel, for coming on the show today. She lives in Hartford, and she's host of the podcast Literary Disco. Uh, Coming up here on Where We Live, we're going to talk to some medical experts who help women and couples who are experiencing infertility. Is this something you've experienced? You can join us, 888-720-9677. That's 888-720-WMPR, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Support for this podcast comes from Hartford HealthCare. Elevating Health is funded by Hartford HealthCare. ECMO is a leading-edge, life-saving treatment for patients with cardiac or respiratory failure. Dr. Jason Gluck, director of the Mechanical Circulatory Support Program and Emergency Cardiac Care at Hartford Hospital, explains what it is. So ECMO stands for extracorporeal membrane oxygenation, outside the body oxygenation of blood. It's a life support technique that's used by highly sophisticated medical systems for patients with severe heart or lung failure. The technique involves removing blood from the body, oxygening it, and then returning it back. ECMO procedures happen in the ICU, but not all hospitals are equipped with the necessary technology and staff. Dr. Gluck describes Hartford Hospital's ECMO Go team. So ECMO is considered when treatments have failed, and in our center, with a special ECMO on the go team, we'll actually take that technology to their hospital and help them out there if they need to to stabilize the patient and then bring them back to heart for recovery. For more information, go to ctpublic.org slash health. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. There have been many advances in fertility science since the first IVF or in vitro fertilization baby in the late 70s. We just heard from a Connecticut woman, Julia Pistel, about her in her fertility journey as she and her husband try to have a second child. For many, the journey is emotionally, physically, and financially challenging. To talk more about infertility, joining us now on the phone is Dr. Anthony Luciano who's a professor and uh, leads the obstetrics gynecology uh, and director of reproductive surgery at UConn Health. Dr. Luciano, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's nice to be here. Uh, We heard from Julia, and she talked about how um, in her journey to have a second child, she has what's called unexplained infertility. So can you talk about that, and, and how common is this? Uh, I'd be happy to talk about that. I just want to thank Julia for being on the show, on the show, on the show, and for uh, uh, sharing with us the emotional trauma that 
uh, infertility has caused her and to her family as well. This is not something that's been appreciated by the society, by medical insurance, and by the medical profession for a long, long time. And in fact, uh, fertility was not thought to be a medical condition for many years, and until recently, it was not covered by medical insurances. And even today, many medical insurances do not cover infertility because they don't think of it as being a medical problem. And as Julia has emphasized already, the pain and the suffering that infertility couples go through compares very similarly to the trauma and to the pain associated with cancer and other major medical problems. This is a real significant medical condition, and I really appreciate you doing this show and Julia for sharing your experience with us. So how common is it, Dr. Luciano? Fertility or infertility is about 10 to 15 percent uh, common in uh, in this country. In other countries, especially uh, Africa and uh, third world countries, it could be as common as 40 percent of uh, reproductive age couples. Uh, so uh, the various causes of infertility include uh, hormonal problems. Uh, include uh, genetic problems uh, as well as uh, organic problems. By organic, I mean problems with the uterus, problems with the fallopian tubes, things like endometriosis, uterine fibroids, etc. And as you mentioned earlier, about 30 to 40 percent of infertility is caused by a male problem. Uh, I hate to talk about causal relationship because it's not your fault and my fault. It's not the man's or the woman. Women's fault. This is a couple's problem, which, as we said, occurs in about 15% of couples, and the problem may be multifactorial. And it is up to us, to, as physicians and as experts in infertility, to specifically find the cause of the problem and obviously treat it accordingly. I'm glad you brought that up because do you often uh, see patients who blame themselves for not being able to conceive, Dr. Luciano? Indeed, that is a very unfortunate thing. Uh, I mean, when we tell couples or when they realize that they have infertility, the first question they ask themselves is, why me? And uh, what have I done wrong? And uh, with that question itself, there is a degree of uh, guilt. Uh, and uh, we spend a lot of time with couples making them understand that we are living beings and we are subject to illnesses diseases and uh, the uh, organic dysfunctions, which uh, they are not our fault. They just happen to living creatures. When they happen, we have to focus on the problem, make a diagnosis, and treat it accordingly. You can join our conversation as we talk about infertility. Again, the number 888-720-9677 or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Katie's calling in from Columbia. Katie, what did you want to share? Hi, can you hear me? Yes, go ahead. Okay, I just wanted to share, um, I appreciate you doing this show, and I wanted to share that um, it's important to also acknowledge the women who um, go through infertility and then choose not to do more than a couple rounds of IVF, and then they're left with no child, and they have to grieve the loss of, of being a mother. And there's the more I look into the community, there's more and more of us because of what's happening in society with women being so educated, choosing 
to partner later in life just because of circumstances. You know, you're traveling, you're doing your career, you're looking for a partner. Um, but for me, I didn't meet my husband until I was 37. And sometimes it's just because you're older. And I think sometimes the fertility centers, you know, of course they want to sell hope, but you're mixing hope and fear together, which can be a little um, tricky. And Sometimes it's just that your egg quality is not there anymore and you are just older. And I think there's something, an important conversation where we need to say to women, like maybe after one round of IVF, depending on, you know, your finances, there's a lot of privilege with IVF as well because mm-hmm. um, there's a lot of extra cost that comes that's not covered by insurance. But maybe we say I'm worthy of not going through that again. And, and then you have to move forward to grieve the bigger loss that you're not going to ever be a mother and then sort of, rebirth yourself into that new identity. It's very challenging, but I know there's a lot of us out there and that we just don't talk to each other and we don't really get a lot of support. Well, thank you, Katie, for sharing that. Uh, that's an excellent point. Uh, when you talk about support, before I let you go, you know, are there community groups, organizations uh, that help uh, women and, and couples who've decided, you know, this, we've tried it, it's not, for, it's not working, we've got to move on. I'm just wondering if you can give a resource if you, if you have one. Yeah, the one I just found recently is called Gateway Women. They're out of the United Kingdom, but they have um, a large online presence. Um, I haven't really joined them, but I just started listening to their um, the person who started the group. I think it's Jody Day, and a lot of her podcasts just she says is just so affirming. Um, you know, that we really celebrate motherhood and that's how we move forward in our partnerships and as women. A lot of um, family events and celebrations are all around children and family. And so you have to really, you know, stay grounded and find people who you can talk to about this different path that has come along from circumstance, not from choice. Thank you, Katie, for calling in today. Again, the number 888-720-9677. I wanted to bring into the conversation Dr. Beth O'Donnell, who's a clinical psychologist in private practice in Stanford. She specializes in infertility counseling. Dr. O'Donnell, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for having me. Can you respond to what the caller Katie has shared and, you know, the fact that, you know, there's a not everyone's circumstance is different. And, uh, you know, earlier I'd asked Julia that she's going to keep trying, but for some that's that's not an option. Can you talk about that? Absolutely. I think Katie made a really important point and, and the journey is not straightforward. It's different for everybody. Um, it involves many layers of loss, uh, a lot of uncertainty. Um, it's, it's traumatic. Um, and, and I think this is where infertility counseling comes in, that people need help navigating. Um, they need to know when they can give themselves permission to, um, to, to end or to change course or, you know, they're, they're, or, or, or to, um, you know, it's an identity crisis that, that um, that they like like Julia pointed out that people have to sometimes um, recreate the entire vision that they had for their for their lives. And one of the things that people have to understand is that if you ask a ten year old whether they're planning to have children, most ten year olds know this is this is something that people envision for a long time, and it's really embedded in their in their identity. So it truly is a crisis on many levels. When you talk about a crisis um, when it impacts identity, you know what about the, the strain that it puts on relationships and, and partnerships? 
Yeah, well, well, it, it does. And, and that part is, is often invisible to people in the patient's um, social support network. P- people who aren't going through infertility or, or pregnancy loss really don't get it. That, that to a patient who is, the whole world looks pregnant and they feel so left out. It's, it's just heartbreaking and isolating. And, you know, the thing I see that I think is most painful is, the patients feel left out of celebrating other people's children. They, they want to be a part of that. They want to be happy that their friends are having babies. And so, again, there's so many layers of loss that they feel really just on the outside. Um, and they need help navigating that. How do they, with self-care, with, with boundaries, with, with finding people who... Um, who know how to be supportive and who do get it. I think the online communities are wonderful for that and people should take advantage for that. Um, that, um, you know, they, they, need, they need sort of um, strategies for, for getting through and protecting, protecting their support system and, and their life so that it's still there for them later. I wanted to bring uh, Dr. Luciano back into the conversation. When we were hearing from Julia, I mean, you know, she was very honest about you know, having to navigate pregnancy loss too. Um, even after um, yes. when, when women may have a successful IVF treatment, but you know, trying to tamp down that excitement because you know of the chances that it won't go to term. Can you talk about that? Uh, unfortunately, miscarriages are very common. Uh, it is estimated that about at least 15%, and perhaps as many as 25% of all conception, of all pregnancies, end up in miscarriages. The causes uh, for miscarriages are numerous. Uh, they start from genetic problems, whereby the egg and the sperm have uh, inadequate uh, number of chromosomes or quality of chromosomes or genes, and therefore uh, the result of the carrier type or the chromosomal makeup is incompatible with life. Uh, Other causes are more treatable, such as uh, organic causes, problems with the uterus, problems with the lining of the uterus, uh, inflammatory process or infections, endometriosis, adenomyosis. These are other causes that may result in miscarriages, and fortunately, they can easily be treated uh, surgically, medically, or with antibiotics, etc. So uh, it is very important to uh, look for causes, especially those that are treatable, and implement the right therapy, correct it, and uh, get a good outcome. Uh, Dr. Beth O'Donnell, uh, we just have a couple of minutes left uh, for our listeners uh, who may be struggling with infertility now. You know, what's some advice that you can give them? So I like to tell people that the Chinese character um, uh, it's for crisis and opportunity is the same. It's the same character. And, you know, that this is, uh, this is a time in their life where sometimes for the first time they're, um, they're learning that life is not fair and that there, there's great suffering in life. And that this is an opportunity to, to grow in some way, whether it's growing their marriage, whether it's growing their coping skills, learning new coping skills, whether it's learning how to protect their relationships, um, uh, you know, that, 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 I think um, for people to come to counseling, whether it's learning better self-care, um, learning to love themselves, take better care of their bodies, um, 
this is an opportunity to, to do that. And it's important. And they will take those skills with them for the rest of their life. Hopefully they will resolve the issue, but, but um, their, their life doesn't have to fall apart over this. And I, I think that's important for people to sort of consciously recognize and grab onto. Well, Dr. Beth O'Donnell, who's a clinical psychologist in Stanford, specializing in infertility counseling, thank you so much for coming on the show. We appreciate it. You're welcome. Also with us today is Dr. Anthony Luciano, Professor and Vice Chair of Obstetrics and Gynecology at UConn Health. Dr. Luciano, thank you. You're very welcome. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. We'll continue talking about fertility challenges after the break. We'll hear from a woman who's a patient advocate for couples trying to conceive. First, it's Connecticut Public Radio's fall membership drive. Support the conversations you hear each and every day here on Where We Live with a pledge. Here are two of my colleagues to tell you more. Thanks for listening to Where We Live on Connecticut Public. I'm Patrick Scahill here with Katie Tolarski, coming to you for just a few minutes to ask for your pledge of support for uh, local programs like this and all the national and international news you're hearing on the station every single day. We can bring you all that news. We can bring you all this information. We can bring you all these stories and interviews because you make that pledge. You make that pledge of support. So if you've done it already, thank you so much. If you haven't, here's how. one 800 584 2788 or go online to ctpublic.org and make your donation there. That's right. 1-800-584-2788 is the number to call to support where we live, to support all of our local programming here, all of our local news. We have two daily talk shows, as you know, where we live in the Colin McEnroe show. We have three relatively new weekly programs, Audacious, Disrupted, and Seasoned. If you're enjoying those programs, if you're a listener, um, if you listen to your podcast or you listen on, on air, uh, support it. Support the great teams that are working hard to put those programs together and to uh, bring you the information, the news, the entertainment that you get um, every week, every day, 1-800-584-2788 or ctpublic.org. Yeah, and of course, uh, Where We Live has been exploring um, issues uh, big and small uh, across not only our state, but but really our world. And um, one story, uh, one show that uh, I particularly uh, really, really enjoyed uh, was a show on Connecticut Paralympians uh, that Lucy did um, a few weeks back. And it was just a, a great uh, conversation with several of um, you know these really elite athletes who are, who are from Connecticut, kind of sharing uh, their journey, sharing their stories, sharing what it was like uh, to compete uh, in the Paralympics this year. Um, and that's just you know typical of what Lucy and her team uh, do. They find these stories uh, in our own backyard and they make them bigger. And um, they, they make them really kind of relatable and approachable. And uh, it's just a, a great, great um, service, really, that Lucy and her team provide to the community. They can do that, again, because you make that pledge of support. Um, so if you're in a position to support where we live, we are asking that you do that now, 1-800-584-2788 or uh, ctpublic.org. And of course, that's just one example of, of many, many uh, shows, uh, Katie, that Where We Live has done recently um, that have just been wonderful. Yeah, I remember that show too. And I loved the, the story, super inspiring. I know that they talked to an athlete. I think he was from Fairfield University and a coach. And there has been a, like a bunch of Paralympians that have come out of this one program um, at Fairfield. So it really was an excellent program where I learned um, about, again, these, these people in our state 
um, that are incredible. And we, a lot of us don't know that they're here doing this work and, and you're working so hard um, to get to uh, the Paralympics. Or again, as Patrick said, um, that, that show among so many others, just a few that we've, um, we've had in the past couple of weeks, a few shows that Where We Live has, has produced, um, alcohol use disorder in women, a look at shared housing, um, talking to oceanographer Robert Ballard. He's another big hero in, in the state of Connecticut. And of course, um, current events like the refugee resettlement um, as Afghans arrive in Connecticut, um, how are, is the state uh, supporting this community? Uh, so many uh, important topics that we are covering on a daily basis. So if you're enjoying these programs, if you're learning about our state, if you are um, learning from people, these, these great in-depth stories, we're asking you to support it. We're asking you to, to become a member of Connecticut Public Radio. 1-800-584-2788 or ctpublic.org. For a pledge of $6 a month, we'd be happy to send you the Where We Live ceramic mug. Uh, this is a great uh, mug, uh, kind of white on the outside, uh, has another color on the inside. I think it looks like uh, black in the picture that I'm looking at here, but my eyes are not what they used to be. Um, but I, what I can see is the wonderful new uh, Where We Live logo, which I absolutely love, which has these little, they're kind of like uh, little map pins uh, that have been arranged uh, in a really, really striking pattern. So you can see a picture of that on our website, ctpublic.org. While you're there, um, you know, take a minute, check out all the great news and information uh, that our newsroom is bringing to you every single day. Uh, topics on everything from, uh, obviously, the COVID-19 pandemic to the environment, to science, uh, to other healthcare topics, to housing topics, uh, to national and international news. We can do all that because you make that pledge. You go online and make that donation. So do give at whatever level works for you. Perhaps it's the $6 a month level to get that Where We Live ceramic mug. Lots of other uh, thank you items are on our gift as well. But really the most important thing is that you do pledge to ensure that programs like Where We Live continue to thrive. 1-800-584-2788 or ctpublic.org. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nopithanchel. Who should pay to make sure air quality in schools is safe for students and staff? On our show tomorrow, we're going to hear how local towns are loggerheads with Governor Lamont's administration over their request to get the state to help pay for upgrades to aging ventilation systems. We hope you join us for that conversation. Now, today we've been talking about infertility and the support available for couples. Uh, Rita's calling in from West Hartford. Rita, are you still there? Oh, doesn't look like Rita's there anymore. Again, you can join us if you want to share um, about your fertility uh, journey, uh, the challenges of trying to conceive, 888-720-9677, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Uh, my next guest went through a six-year struggle to conceive, and she saw firsthand the many misconceptions and the stigma that surrounds infertility. Today, Lisa Rosenthal is a patient advocate for women and couples, and she helps connect them to responsible fertility treatment. Lisa, welcome to our show. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm delighted to be here. And again, Lisa is a patient advocate at Reproductive Medicine Associates of Connecticut. Uh, so I mentioned that uh, you are a patient advocate. You also understand firsthand uh, what it's like uh, to have fertility challenges. Can you talk about that time in your life and you know how it led you to the work you're doing today? Absolutely. <clears throat> I assumed at 26 that I would have no problems getting pregnant. And this was quite a long time ago. And I was had 
terrible problems, six and a half years of infertility, watching my friends get pregnant, suffering through two pregnancy losses of much wanted babies. And it really instilled in me the the realization that like incredible, and this was 30 years ago, Lucy, it instilled in me the incredible realization that this was both a personal experience that I was having, but also a collective experience that many of us were having. And it really forged my entire uh, life's work and career and passion. And I've been in infertility and supporting um, people through trying to fill their, uh, build their families ever since. Tell me about the family you have today. I am blessed and lucky um, and really lucky to have uh, three beautiful children, one at a time, luckily as well. And, um, you know, it, it was interesting listening both to uh, Julia before about how it never goes away. So one of the groups that I, uh, peer groups that I facilitate is parenting after infertility. We form lifelong friendships. So there are women on the parenting after infertility group that they have six-year-olds, they have seven-year-olds, they have two-year-olds. Last week at a Resolve New England walk, many of them came out with their children in strollers to support those still going through it. And, it, you know, it's just a remarkable thing. And I did want to just mention Katie, who called in, um, speaking so eloquently about um about what happens often uh, with infertility. And the biggest challenge I think with infertility is that if we were to tell somebody, you're gonna go to a fertility practice, you're gonna spend three years there, you're gonna spend more time, money and energy than you ever wanted. But at the end, you're going to have a child. Everybody, it would be a different experience, Lucy, but we can't make that guarantee because that guarantee isn't real. And the truth is that knowing when enough is enough for each of us, as Katie was alluding to in her call, we can't see giving up as failure. We can see it as moving on. We can see it as making a decision. And, and these are very personal decisions. When we think about uh, the families that go through um, many rounds of IVF, you know, how does insurance handle that? Is this something that is attainable for some families or it really does depend on your insurance coverage? Well, we're lucky in Connecticut. We are one of the 19 states that have a state mandate or insurance bill. However, uh, I'm actually working with a coalition called Affordable Families because one of the things that our state mandate in Connecticut leaves out is any provisions for single people or the LGBTQ community who also suffer from infertility. So we are constant, you know, there's a constant conversation. And that's what I meant by sort of personal and collective. So there's a conversation going on with our legislators on a regular basis about infertility and why, as Dr. Luciano also discussed, why is reproductive disease, which this is acknowledged as reproductive disease by the American Medical Association, why it is not covered like other diseases are covered. It surprises me when you mentioned LGBT individuals and individuals um, that's still an issue here in our state because we think of Connecticut as being very progressive. There was something that was signed recently, the Parentage Act. Tell me how that will help uh, the, the couples and, and clients that you counsel. 
we're, we're very, very proud of that. And that was a, a coalition that worked very, very hard. And big thanks to um, Representative Jeff Curry for um, really put, helping us push that through. The Connecticut Parentage Act means that somebody will no longer have to go through a costly and time-sensitive uh, uh, second party adoption of their own children. And it basically it confers on an LGBTQ couple the same rights that we have for, for a hetero couple, that the parent is going to be acknowledged. And that goes into effect January 1st. So we're very, very excited about this. Um, it makes It really makes big changes for that community. You're hearing Lisa Rosenthal here on Where We Live. She's a patient advocate at Reproductive Medicine Associates of Connecticut. As we talk about infertility uh, and hear first-person accounts of this journey that is not uncommon, but we just don't talk about it enough. You can join us. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Uh, Lisa, when we think about infertility, would you say it's fair to, that I mean, most people think of it as a, a problem of upper middle class or white heterosexual couples, but we know it's more diverse than that. Can you talk about the people that, that you're supporting in your role as patient advocate? Yes. Uh, thank you for the question. Um, it is, it, I have for a long time felt like we have looked at this in a very elitist way, in a very privileged way. And because of organizations like Fertility for Colored Girls and Broken Brown Egg and Francis Brown and Shantana May from Sister Girl Foundation and Black Women in Infertility, Siobhan Coney, you know, these are the women to listen to. These are, are, are women of color who are talking about their experiences and their individual needs. And I defer to them about how they talk about the experience. But I will say that we, one in eight, couples have this experience and it is completely unbiased. Infertility is completely unbiased. It doesn't care, you know, what color or what race or how you identify or what your gender is. Um, there's certainly certain um, things like endometriosis and PCOS and PCOS Challenge is another great organization that absolutely um, do affect women of color much more than it, they affect um, white women. And so again, we really need to be aware of, of these differences and we need to be aware of our privilege. You said PCOS, what is that? Polycystic ovary syndrome. We just finished September as PCOS Awareness Month. And in fact, Lucy, I'm not sure if you're aware, but October is Pregnancy Loss and, and Infant Loss uh, Awareness Month. So it's really wonderful that you're doing this show today. Well, producer uh, Tess Terrible gets props uh, for scheduling that, uh, especially uh, this month. Uh, when we talk about patients of color, we know in our country, you know, just the health disparities that disproportionately impact uh, communities of color. So when we talk about uh, women and families of color, you know, how are they treated in this space? Because as we've heard earlier, this is an emotional time. There is definitely a psychological toll that it takes on individuals. I'm wondering if you can talk about that at all. I, I can talk about it only in what I have heard from them. I certainly can't speak to it myself. And I, so, again, I defer to their voices. And what is, what is true is that just like in every other part of, of health care, they're not necessarily listened to the same way. Um, they're not diagnosed as quickly. 
and and this is true of a lot of women's diseases as well. But for women of color, it becomes even more paramount to you know to be as much of a, your own advocate as possible. But the problem with being your own advocate, and and Julia was talking about this, is that we get exhausted, we get disappointment disappointed and the failure of things to happen make it even more challenging to advocate for ourselves, which is why it's so important that we have advocates who can speak for people as long as we're very clear about what their message is when they can't, when they don't have the emotional energy to speak for themselves. And I think that this disparity, you know, again, with the organizations that I mentioned before is starting to change. Um, it's being talked about more and there's more awareness and the awareness is where it has to begin. Just a few minutes left, actually three minutes to go, Lisa, but we know we are still living in this pandemic. We know that uh, the pandemic had really changed how uh, patients uh, interact with their medical professionals. How did COVID impact how you're reaching couples and individuals that need support? Well, I love that question. Lucy, because in the middle of this pandemic, uh, we actually went through an institutional review board and did a research study on COVID-19 and how our patients were affected. And it was actually accepted by the American Society for Reproductive Medicine um, for their conference this, this month. And what we found was that telehealth conferences actually do a great job. And I don't want to reveal too much information, but patients were really felt that their physicians were focused, that they were there, that they were present. So that was one thing during the pandemic that we found that was really wonderful. And in fact, patients were stated things like, I don't have to drive there. If there's terrible weather, I don't have to cancel. If I'm sick, I don't have to cancel. So there was, there was actually a brightness. Now, I know that during the pandemic, it was pretty brutal for a lot of people in a lot of states. But in Connecticut, we were lucky enough to have infertility and fertility treatment to be considered essential services. So we were closed for very short amounts of time. Well, Lisa Rosenthal, it's been a pleasure to hear from you. I can hear the care in your voice that uh, these couples and individuals are lucky to have you as a patient advocate uh, at Reproductive Medicine Associates of Connecticut. If people wanted to reach out to you, Lisa, what's the best way? The best way really is to go to um, is to go to rmact.com and you can find me easily and my phone number 203-240-6122. One of the things I love about my job is that I am a patient advocate. Yes, I work for Reproductive Medicine Associates of Connecticut, but you do not have to be a patient of RMA of Connecticut. So you can just call me if you need a little extra help and support. Well, thank you, Lisa. We'll be sure to share that with our listeners on our website, ctpublic.org. Test Terrible produced today's show. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. If you listen to where we live regularly, you know we cover a wide variety of topics on this show, and we aim to bring you stories of Connecticut residents and our communities. Support where we live and all the programming on Connecticut Public Radio. It's our fall membership campaign. Here are two of my colleagues to tell you more. Thanks for listening to Where We Live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Katie Tularski here with Patrick Scahill. I'm excited to be asking for your support 
to be asking for you to become a member here at Connecticut Public Radio during this uh, fall membership campaign. Uh, here's how. Call 1-800-584-2788 or go online to ctpublic.org. You can check out our new webpage. Um, lots of things that we are bringing to you every single day, whether it is on our weekly talk shows or daily talk shows out of the newsroom, our monthly Cutline TV specials. We have a new accountability project um, that is doing some in incredible investigative reporting. Um, so many ways that your dollars are um, utilized to bring you the news, important, important news and stories every day. 1-800-584-2788 or ctpublic.org. Yeah, and you know one of the the main missions uh, of Connecticut Public is to uh, meet folks uh, where they are. So it might be uh, on on TV through uh, our cutline specials. Maybe it's on our website. Um, maybe it's on social media. Maybe it's on the radio. Maybe it's in podcasts. Maybe it's in you know the classic print story that's now on our website. We can do all that, and we've been expanding all of those offerings because you make that pledge, you make that donation. So it's not only going uh, to programs like Where We Live. It's going to all the great news, all the great content uh, that you're getting here at Connecticut Public, all the stories, all the interviews, um, which, and, uh, and I'm sure in your head you can think of, uh, of several just kind of right now, even, even, even as I'm saying this, we can do that because of you. So make that pledge right now, 1-800-584-2788 or ctpublic.org. For $6 a month, you can become a sustaining member of Connecticut Public Radio. It's so easy um, to support the station um, and to know that your dollars will continue to bring um, this programming to you day after day. And again, for that $6 a month, you can grab yourself a Where We Live ceramic mug uh, with the cool new logo on it. Uh, so many other thank you items, so many ways for us to thank you for your pledge of support at ctpublic.org. Um, check those out. And again, the important thing is that you're calling and you're supporting uh, the programming here, especially Where We Live, our great team. We have two uh, new producers here, Katie Pellico and Sujata Srinivasan, a uh, really incredible team working so hard uh, with Tess Terrible and Lucy Nalpapanchal um, every day to bring you really important, interesting conversations. Call and support them now, 1-800-584-2788 or ctpublic.org. Yeah, and those conversations are, you know, looking at uh, big issues not only in our state but also in our world. But they're also they're always kind of kind of filtering those through a local perspective. So you're hearing local voices talking about uh, big picture stuff. So if you value that, uh, we obviously do. We're hoping you do as well. One eight hundred five eight four two seven eight eight or ctpublic.org. And thanks.